0: Independence Day. Happy Fourth of July. I think uh, today it's special that it falls on a Sunday that we get to celebrate our national independence. You realize it's been 245 years since those 56 men came together and they signed their lives away. They signed away everything that they had pledged themselves Declaring independence, understand, from the most powerful empire on the face of the planet at that time. You talk about some brave men. Patriots. They wrote our declaration of independence. And I want to share the final paragraph from that this morning. These are beautiful words that we don't hear people talking and writing this way Anymore, 245 years later. But they said this. They said after listing all the grievances against the king of Britain. They said, We therefore, the representative of the United States of America in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies... Are and of right ought to be free and independent states. That they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown. And that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. And that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Now, for many of those 56 men, it would cost those things. Five signers were captured by the British army, were treated as traitors and tortured before they died. Twelve of them had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons who served in the Revolutionary Army. Another two had sons captured. Nine of the 56 actually fought and died from wounds or hardships from the Revolutionary War. These men weren't just paper signers. They were heroes. I'm very thankful for our freedom. It's something that... It's home with me. It's something that a lot of our veterans, we're blessed, you know, in Knox County to have a high rate of veterans in our population. And our freedom and the love for our country, regardless of who's president and what's going on in politics, we're still very proud to be Americans. But I want to look at something this morning. It's not a misprint there in your bulletin when it says the Declaration of Interdependence. Because this morning we're talking about just that. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. A very familiar passage of Scripture. And I want to give you some context to what's going on here. At this point in Jesus' ministry, He has performed numerous miracles. He has preached and taught some of the greatest Messages, the greatest sermons, taught some of the greatest lessons ever recorded in history, and he's created quite a following. But also along the way, he's recently been deserted by many people that wanted only what he could provide for them as they watched him feed the thousands and with just a few fish and some simple loaves. This group wanted to be completely and totally dependent. Upon him. And now he's just finished trying to teach his own disciples a very important lesson, if you'll read in the chapters leading up to this. But they too were confused and they still thought that it was still just about the bread. This group, the disciples, were eager to go out. They were eager to follow in Jesus' footsteps. They were eager to conquer the world, take over the world under the leadership of their Messiah. The one that I think they still somehow believed was going to free them from Roman rule. And Roman oppression was going to make them independent. That's what they wanted was that independence. But Jesus takes them on a little field trip. And they go from Magdala around the Sea of Galilee north up to Caesarea Philippi. To teach them that there's still a greater goal that we have to accomplish. There's something greater than dependence. There's something greater than even independence. And he introduces them to the concept of his church. Of the kingdom which would be compromised of people. Who were interdependently connected. Working together under the authority and kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting to look back over history. That we declared ourselves independent. Independent from Great Britain and isolated ourselves and wanted to be independent and 245 years later you look across our global system and the global economy and how interdependently we are connected and just how much now we we rely on other nations not for them ruling over us but for our existence in the world. Look at Matthew chapter 16 starting at verse 13. Again, a familiar story. The Bible says when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, He asked them, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. I want to start this morning talking about these three different levels of dependence. And the first one is complete and total dependence. You see, the time had come in Jesus' ministry for people to begin to recognize Him, especially His disciples, to recognize Him for who He really was, and to proclaim the beginning of this great organization, this institution that today we call the church. And so He very carefully, and I think even prophetically, took his disciples to this precise place called Caesarea Philippi to do just this. Now this place, I want to give you some insight on what this place was. It was out of the way for them. Again, they had to travel from Magdala down south, which Mary Magdalene was from, to travel north to modern-day Lebanon almost, right at the very edge of modern-day Lebanon, north of Israel. And it was a place that was away from their Jewish culture, It was away from their Jewish people. It was away from the temple. It was a place of the Gentiles. And not just a Gentile city, but it was one of the most vile and dark, evil places in Jesus' day. Caesarea Philippi. It was the center for the worship of the pagan god Pan, the little half-goat, half-man fake god that the Greeks made up. And at this place, they would come together... And they would practice all kinds of immoralities. They would sacrifice their children in order to please the pagan god Pan. And this is the place that Jesus took his disciples Who asked them these two very important questions. Of all places that he could have gone. He asked them first and foremost, who do people say that I am? Or who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples, I think, are very honest with the Lord. They say, well, some know you like a preacher, like John the Baptist. Some know you as a miracle worker like Elijah. Some consider you a prophet like Jeremiah or some of the others. And I think it was those that considered Jesus any of these things were the ones who wanted total dependency on Jesus. They wanted to follow Him for what He could give them. Not just for who He was. And it was these kind of that turned away from Jesus in John chapter 6 when Jesus looked at him and told him what he really was and what it truly meant to follow him. Go back and look at John 6 on that story when Jesus lost those followers. I think the same is true today though. Many people, too many people, too many church members want to follow Jesus all because of what Jesus can give them. Some think that they follow Jesus and He may bring them an easier life. Some believe that they can follow Jesus and He'll bring prosperity, which has been promised by some false teacher. We see that today. Some think they're going to follow Jesus just because they get to go to heaven. Folks, Jesus has so much more to offer than all of that, even more than heaven itself. And when the tough gets going, those that follow Jesus for anything other than who Jesus is, they're going to fall away. And we see that in the Gospels. In sociology, psychology, in the life of organizations, in people, and even nations, we see these various levels of dependency. Now, understand, I completely feel like we need to be dependent on Jesus. I am every day of my life. But on the very bottom is complete and total dependency on somebody else for your mere existence. Now, some would say codependency goes lower than that. We need to talk about that, but that's a lesson for another day. Let's start with dependency. When, (coughs) excuse me, the lowest level of dependency is, like I said, being completely and totally dependent on somebody else to meet your needs to provide for you, to care for you, to make sure that you exist. It's like a child who depends on their parents for life, for their basic essential needs. Our original colonies here in the United States were completely dependent for their existence upon the British crown. They were not allowed to exist apart from that rule and that reign. But when it comes to the church... When it comes to ministry, even when it comes to following Jesus, I think there is a time where we have to move from simple dependency to some independence. And I want to explain that just a little bit. The second thing we're going to talk about is independence. 245 years ago, that brave group of patriots decided that dependence and the natural bondage that comes with that was not for them. And so they signed, they agreed that they would go to war by making a declaration of independence, making a resolution that would cost them their lives because they knew that the freedom that come with the independence, the liberty that came with that, was worth the cost. Now likewise, Jesus' disciples, that those 12 disciples, might say 11 disciples, they knew that he was worth following. Again, Jesus had lost so many followers when he told them, listen, you got to eat my body and drink my blood. A lot of people didn't like that. They just wanted some bread and some fish. And when they saw what it really meant to follow Jesus, they didn't want anything to do with that. But those 12, I think even at this point, even though they still didn't understand how extensive that cost would be, I think they, they wanted some independence. They wanted Jesus to send them out. They wanted Jesus to empower them for the mission. And so Jesus poses this second question. He says, but who do you say that I am? He makes it personal. And Simon Peter rightly proclaims, Lord, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And while that's true. And I think it's a beautiful profession of faith. Again in one of the darkest places. On the face of the earth at that time. They still didn't completely get it. And here's what I mean by that. The disciples wanted Jesus. Yes but they wanted. What they believed Jesus could offer. As their long awaited Messiah. Not just a miracle worker. They wanted a revolutionary. A revolutionary. They wanted someone that could bring them independence from Rome. They wanted someone that could send them out independently to do this type of ministry and the miracles that Jesus was doing. Someone that would commission them and send them out to do His work. And we'll begin to talk about that next week. But they didn't realize, not at this point, that even independence has its weaknesses. Now that's a tough thing to say on the 4th of July. But there are some weaknesses and being independent. Each of us as individuals, I'm sorry, we are weaker than we are as a group. While these disciples who would become the apostles, while they would go out and they would do incredible, great, and glorious things for Jesus, for the kingdom of God, it would take them working together under the leadership of Christ's Holy Spirit to accomplish the great commission to which Jesus would send them out on. Not just as individuals, but it would take a church. It would take Christ's church. Here in America, we value our independence, amen? Yeah, absolutely. We should. We should be proud of that. We should value our liberty and we should value every God given right that He has given us. But what history's taught us and what Jesus is about to teach His disciples is that this rugged, Lone Ranger model. Just ain't going to cut it. <laughs> and I like to think I'm a Lone Ranger. But that's not what it's all about, folks. Individualism. Personal independence. While we value that so much here in our country and in the West, listen, it is second to a much greater and even more powerful existence that we call Interdependence, And let's talk about interdependence. If dependence is relying solely on someone else, and independence is relying more on yourself, interdependence is relying on others while also contributing to their existence and their well-being. Notice what Jesus says in verses 17 and 18. Interdependence to me sounds very much like a family or a church. He says... You see, when Simon Peter proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus uses a play on Greek words. And what does he say? He says, you are Peter. Or in the Greek, you are Petros, which means, Peter, you're just a little rock. You're a a pebble. But on this rock, on this Petra, a totally different word, on this immovable cliff, or this immovable stone, this unshakable Truth, Not you, Peter, but on the truth that I am who I am, that I am the Christ, that I am the son of the living God. What does he say next? He says on this rock, who I, not you, not Peter, not Tyler, I will build whose church? My church. And because I'm building my church and because she is my bride, listen, not even the gates of hell will prevail against her. Now, Jesus is saying a couple things here. When he takes these disciples to Caesarea Philippi, he takes them to a... I'll be honest, it is one of the most beautiful places on the face of the planet Earth. But he takes them to this place at the base of Mount Hermon, where the headwaters of the Jordan River bubble up out of the base of this mountain. The the snow uh, melts down and it trickles down through the springs, and it comes up out of the base of this mountain. And it was here that the pagans of Jesus' day believed this this pool, this river that the Jordan comes out of. They believed this was a portal or a gate to the underworld. It was literally the gate to hell. And Jesus looks at His disciples. He says, Guys... Not even the most vile, most evil thing that you can imagine, because you can't even, I'm not even going to describe in, in mixed company what they did at this place. He says, Not even this will overcome my church. No power of hell, no scheme of man, as we're saying, no devil, no person is going to be able to conquer or overthrow or stop my church. This institution that I'm building, because it's built on me. He says, You guys are going to be the beginning of this. You're going to be the ones that I give the keys of my kingdom to. I'm giving you the ability to unlock the truth, to uphold the gospel, and to take that gospel to the very ends of the earth. So what does all this mean for us? I think as Christ's church some 2,000 years later, I think it means that we need to take another declaration of interdependence as First Baptist Church. Like I said, as the church, there's no Lone Rangers. There's no big I's, no little U's. There's nobody that's more important than anybody else. I wear the title pastor, lead pastor, I guess. But listen, I'm no important and no better than anybody in this room. Every member... Every part of the body, every person in our church family has a role, has a value to offer. And listen, if we are going to follow Christ and storm the gates of hell with the gospel, we're going to do it together, or we're not going to do it at all. And so here's what I think we've got to do, church. Interdependence means this. It goes back to those one another's of the New Testament. We must, as Jesus said, love one another. Do you love... Look around this room. Do you love everybody here? You better. Yeah, I didn't say you got to like them, but you better love them. We must care for one another. We must, as the Bible says, consider one another greater than ourselves. We must work with one another, not against one another, not in spite of one another, but with one another. We must value one another as Christ has already valued and loved us. And we must depend on one another. Because listen, this mission, the Great Commission, folks, it's a lot bigger than any single one of us. It's a lot bigger than Tyler. It will to to get people to Jesus Here and around the world, it's going to take us working interdependently together as Christ's bride, as Christ's church. And I guess what I'm really trying to say, church, is I need you. I need you, Darla. I need you, Tom. I need you, Dion. I need you, Mom. I need you, Peggy. I need you, Tim. I need all of you. Here's the other part of this. You need me too. You need the person to your left and you need the person to your right. That's the way Christ designed His church. People need Jesus. A devil needs defeated. And whether you like it or not, we need each other. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and pray this morning. Lord Jesus, I wish we could even begin to grasp the love that you have for your church, for your bride. Lord, that You would lay down Your very life for her. You would shed Your blood. You would suffer unthinkable pain, disgrace for Your bride. Lord, You would love her in such a way that You're washing her, purifying her, But Lord, you also trust her. (laughs) You've given her these, these keys to your kingdom. You've given her the gospel message, your gospel. And you've told her to take it to the ends of the earth. Because you love all of these single individual people. And you want them to be part of your church. Lord, it's my prayer this Independence Day that we would grow interdependent. Yes, Lord, that we'd love you with all our heart, but God, that we would truly love our neighbor as ourselves. That your church here in Barberville would be united, strong, loving, caring, and focused on the mission at hand focused on Jesus and Lord this morning if there is something that's standing between us and a brother or sister as we prepare our hearts to come to your table this morning Father I pray that we would make that right that we'd offer forgiveness that we would extend some grace if necessary that we could truly be one heart one mind one accord for you In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to come to His table as His family, if you need to turn over something to Him, if you need to make something right with a brother or sister this morning, allow the Spirit to examine your heart today and make that right before we celebrate the Lord's Supper. If there's a decision that you need to make, if it's salvation or church membership or baptism, why don't you come and and share that this morning? Why don't you come as we sing a song of invitation? The altar's open. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville, or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, On Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville. On Twitter at BarbervilleFBC or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.